this is where I get to have some fun with you because I get to show you pictures of my family because we're a family of missionary kids. In 1934, my mother-in-law was 11 years old when her parents went to Trinidad as missionaries. Five years later, they came back to the U.S., and three months after they arrived back in the U.S., her parents were both killed in a train and car accident on their way to a Bible study. She was called out of her English class at Adelphian Academy and given the news. She went on to take nursing and to marry and went to the mission field with my husband when he was three years old. And they were there for some 21 years in Africa. Um, later, I, I met my husband at Heldeberg College when we were in high school. There, that's what, that was the school of the day for missionary kids in southern Africa. And um, we married after we finished college and went back to the country of Malawi. And both of our children were born there. And this is a picture of our daughter, Christy. Christy, this picture was taken a few years ago. My mother-in-law has since passed away, but when Christy had her first son, and they were back in the U.S. for their first visit after his birth, he ha they had been living in Guinea Conakry. Zachary is now eight years old and has lived in five countries, and they currently live in the Philippines. And so. I tell people one of two things. First of all, you, you know, missionary kids are a little weird, and if we're a little weird, you know why. We kind of jerk or switch or twitch, whatever. Because we're a family of missionary kids. We will always be missionary kids. You don't grow out of being a missionary kid because your childhood is built into you, right? You never go away from your childhood. Your childhood is part of who you are. So we may be adult missionary kids, but we're always <laughs> missionary kids. We're a family of missionary kids, first of all. And the second thing, so you know, maybe we're a little different for that reason, but on the other hand, I want to assure you as we begin this, that it is possible to raise healthy missionary kids who can then become missionaries themselves, generation after generation. We do hope that this ends soon, don't we? <laughs> that there won't need to be more missionary kids soon because Jesus has come. However, it is possible, and I want to assure you that right now, because we'll be talking about both the benefits and the challenges of being raised as a missionary kid. In the past, missionaries tended to have the attitude that God will take care of our kids, kids adjust, we just move, we don't worry too much about it, about them. Um, and this began to change in the, in the 60s, 70s, 80s, as many of the missionary kids that had gone out in the post-war years grew up. And some people began to find out there were problems that lasted all one's life because of being raised as a missionary kid. And then we kind of had the pendulum then kind of began to swing to the other side. And now we hear people saying, I would never take my children to the mission field because it really messes them up. You know, and, and the point we would like to have here is that neither of these attitudes are correct. There is a middle ground. We can trust God to care for our children. But we also need to be wise, knowledgeable, and as careful as we can to raise them in the best possible way. So 
the, our discussion today will be to try to find a balance between these two uh, extremes. Now, uh, in the 1980s, there were three missionary kid conferences uh, that were held, one in Ecuador, one in the Philippines, one in Kenya, which, out of which a lot of research, a lot of books have come. And we know much more about missionary kids and the raising of missionary children than we knew before. A lot of research is ongoing and continues. And if you're interested in the subject, um, there will be much that you can find on it. One thing was said at the last of these conferences by Ted Ward. He, and I think this is a very important statement for us. One's family is part of one's ministry. Neglect of family is not part of a bargain one strikes with God. Okay. Our family is our first mission field. And as we go as missionaries, we need to bear that in mind. And wherever we work, we need to bear that in mind. That doesn't mean our family is our total focus of our mission either. We still have a responsibility to do the work God calls us to. But it should be a balance, and it should be incorporated together. Okay, we call, missionary kids are a, a group, a part of a larger group called third culture kids. So what is the third culture? First culture is the parents' home culture. That is usually the passport culture. Not always the case. We had one missionary family that came through Mission Institute with three children, and every one of them had a passport from a different country. So it can happen. But um, the, parent, the parents' home culture is what we consider the first culture. And for, like my family, that first culture is the, the US culture. The second culture, or a combination of cultures, is the cultures in which the child is being raised. So for our grandson, Zachary, he has been raised now in a, in a Portuguese-speaking culture. They lived in, in Sao Tome, Principe. He's been raised, he's lived, that was three years of his life, two years of his life in a French-speaking culture in uh, Madagascar. Uh, he's the kind of kid that uh, grew up asking for the word, if you learned a new word, the word in English, then what is it in Portuguese, what is it in French? You know, that kind of, <laughs> kind of a, a mixture. But anyway, th that is the second culture, the culture that surrounds the child. And right now, for their family, it is a Filipino culture. And the third culture is the culture that results from that mixture of cultures. Okay, it is whatever the mixture of the home culture and the host cultures are, becomes the third culture. And what's very interesting about uh, the research that's been done is that kids that are raised in this between world of cultures share similar characteristics. It doesn't matter which cultures they are. They still share very similar characteristics. And that's what we'll be focusing on this afternoon. So here's a definition that uh, Dave Pollack came up with. It's in the book, Third Culture Kids, which, by the way, if you're interested, is, is the definitive book on the subject. It says, an individual who having spent a significant part of the developmental years, what are developmental years? What are they? Okay. It's probably getting older now. Kids are still developing at 25 now, right? <laughs> at least zero to 20, right? At least those years we consider as developmental years, uh, they have different kinds of development as we go through. So a significant part of one's childhood, let's say, in a culture other than the parents' culture, so it's not the parents' home culture, 
develops a sense of relationship to all of the cultures while not having full ownership in any. And this is different than an immigrant child who moves to a new culture and becomes part of the immigrant community in a new culture. This child is living between these cultures without having full ownership in any. My children are a good example of this. They were born in the country of Malawi. At the time, and I, I don't know that it's changed yet, you cannot become a citizen of Malawi unless you have one parent who is Malawian. So they will never be able to have citizenship there or residency. If they go, they will go in the same way anybody else would with a visitor's visa or a temporary work permit. So they don't have full ownership in that culture, even though they were born there and grew up there entirely. However, because they grew up in Malawi, they don't have full ownership in the American culture either. You know, don't tr play trivial pursuit with them. They can't answer those questions. I don't know how many of you have the same trouble I do doing the crossword puzzles in the back of the Sky magazines. I don't know the answers to those questions, and that's typical of a missionary kid. They don't, you don't have full ownership in even your home culture, your parents' culture. However, elements from each culture are incorporated into the life experience. So you don't, don't you love the, these uh, missionary kid pictures here? Yeah. <laughs> Aren't they great? I mean, you know, a little bit of everything, play soccer, play baseball, play whatever, but of course do it in your kafia. <laughs> You know, so uh, always a mixture. So there's elements from each culture that are incorporated into the life experience, and forgive me for that. But the sense of belonging, and this is key, the sense of belonging is in relationship to others of similar experience. So the belongingness comes in meeting other TCKs, other people who have lived this kind of life between cultures. It's one of the best weeks of the year for me is the reentry week when the missionary kids come with their uh, back from the mission field and I get to be part of the teen program. And here we have kids that come from everywhere. They don't know each other. Sometimes they're from different home cultures. They're coming to school in the U.S. And the first evening that we're together, I usually ask a question along these lines as we're sitting after we've had our pizza, which by the way is international. Uh, food for teens, I asked the question, what is the best airport in the world? <laughs> you know that missionary kids have an opinion about that. <laughs> and my, lots of kids have never been on a plane you know, before. They don't have an opinion about the best airport. But every year, there's this lively discussion that comes up. What's the best airport in the world? And um, suddenly, they begin to realize, here are other kids like me. I'm not so weird. Uh, by the way, do you know what the best airport in the world is the last two years running? Kiske, take a guess. According to who? To the, these kids, the teen at teen reentry. It's Dubai, folks. So if you're interested, you just head to Dubai they, and see if the missionary kids are right. But anyway, it, it doesn't even take two hours when these kids come together from all over the world before they know they're with brothers and sisters. It's amazing transformation, and it's just a great deal of fun to watch it happen because the sense of belonging is not attached to a place, but to people. And that is very different from those of you who have grown up in one place or one culture. You are attached to a place. 
You know, the first thing we ask people when we meet them after we've learned their name is? Place. You ask a missionary kid, where are you from? They hate the question. <laughs> they can't answer it without telling a story, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's, and you know the reason why it's so, so hard to answer is because um, they know, we all know intuitively, that that question, where are you from, provides us with some kind of stereotype in order to, uh, some kind of peg in order to stereotype people, to kind of put them in a category that we can understand. So you tell me, you know, I'm from California, and I say, oh, what part of California? Oh, do you know my friend? I mean, you know, we're trying to make a connection here based upon the place. And uh, you tell me I'm from Beverly Hills, and I go, whoo, is your family wealthy? You know, kind of, you begin to try to find out. Missionary kids don't fit those pegs. You know, my children say I'm from Malawi, and they, people look at them and say, right. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, don't quite fit. <clears throat> if they say I'm from the U.S., and they act a little weird, <clears throat> and people well, this is a weird America. I mean, you know, different than the usual. So uh, <clears throat> it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of a, pardon? Right. Sounds like you've been there, done that, right? So in fact, <clears throat> when I'm talking to people and I say, where are you from? And they go, well, I begin to think, that's going to be a TCK. You just wait and find out. And often it is. Now, missionary kids are a subgroup of the third culture kid category. Uh, these include kids who have gone out in the, with the military, gone out with a diplomatic corps, they've lived internationally for international business and so on. So there are, it's a broad, third culture kids a broader category, missionary kids are one part of that category, and yet they share many similarities with that larger category. Interestingly enough, Ruth Van Recken, who is the author of the book, Third Culture Kids, has now come up with another category <laughs> that is even bigger than third culture kids. And I'll just mention this for some of you, because some of your children might fit in this category. She calls it cross-cultural kids. Cross-cultural kids are kids who may not themselves have moved internationally, but they live or go to a school that is extremely international where they are constantly, their friends, the music, so on. So this would be if you are Anglo and you're, you're pastoring a Spanish church and your kids are going to a Spanish church, speaking church school or something, you're cross-cultural perhaps in, the, in your own, own culture. And that would be the, the cross-cultural kid. And they do share some similarities with this group. All right, so the TCK profile that we'll be looking at, just a piece of it in the attempt to be done on time today, is from the book Third Culture Kids by David Pollack and Ruth Van Recken. I highly recommend that book if you are raising third culture kids or interested in learning more about them. So the first characteristic we want to look at is mobility and leave-taking, which is a constant in the missionary kid life. The there are benefits, and we will look at these as benefits and challenges. You know, no matter where you're raised, there's good parts and bad parts to that, right? Good parts and bad parts, no matter where you're raised. I, I learned this. I was a preacher's kid growing up, and we moved often back in the days when the Advent movement meant movement of pastors. And we moved often. My dad got the name of uh, being good at building churches, so every time they needed a new church in a district, he was sent there. And so by the time I went to seventh grade, 
we moved again, and I had gone now to my, this was my sixth elementary school. I hated moving. Every time we'd move, I'd say to my mom, I don't want to leave my friends. And she said, oh, well, you'll make new friends. Well, I don't want new friends. You know, I want these friends that I've got here. I just was sick and tired of moving and making new friends. And so in seventh grade, I moved to a new school. And my friend, um, I made a new friend there. She had grown up in the same school, the same house, same church all her life. And I'm thinking, whoa, that's wonderful, you know. And she's saying to me, Wow, I wish I could move. <laughs> you know, so there's good parts and bad parts. <clears throat> it doesn't matter where you grow up. It's a good side and bad side. So we need to look at missionary kid life not as all wonderful, not as all terrible either. There's good parts and bad parts. So let's look at the benefits, first of all, of these characteristics. The benefit of leave taking is, and mobility is adaptability and flexibility. You know? You know, go with the flow. It's pretty easy for a missionary kid. They usually become very adaptable people, able to fit in wherever they are. There is a confidence in change. One can live, move to the far side of the earth and survive it. Hey, coups, no problem. You know, <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, weird food? No, it's not weird. Hey, I love durian or whatever. Have any of you tried that? Um, anyway. I, I, I did a short internship at Mission Training International in Colorado Springs when we were setting up our children's program. And um, I remember these kids were very monocultural Americans. They were trying to get them, as part of the training, to eat things like avocados. And the kids were going, Bleh. or drink some mango juice, and the kids wouldn't taste it. You know, these monocultural kids had never tried this stuff before. Missionary kids are. You know, if it's a grub, not too bad. Let's see. You know, you got to teach them a little bit. All right. They have, there's a rich memory and relationship bank. You know, they say you know you're a missionary kid when you sort your address book by continent because you have friends everywhere. A rich memory bank. And with your family, you can remember the time, you know, the elephant charged the car, or the time, the time you found the snake in your, under your bed, or, you know, whatever it was that made your life uh, memorable. In fact, our daughter uh, was taking elementary education at Andrews, and in one of her senior methods class, they asked the kids to sit and make a list of all the events in their childhood that they could tell stories about for teaching purposes. And so she started writing her list. She wrote, finished the page. And then she looked up, and all her friends are sitting there chewing on their pencils. They got three things written down. And she's got this whole long list of all these exciting, you know, the time we visited China, the time we, you know, all these things she can tell stories about. And uh, she told me afterwards, she wrote me a little email, and she said, you know, Mama, I realize I had a very interesting childhood. <laughs> yeah, rich memory bank, rich, lots of uh, many relationships and experiences, and a certain empathy and sensitivity for others. Missionary kids have had to move and say goodbye. They know what it means to be homesick, to, be, to feel lonely. And so it's easy for them to understand that in other people. So usually there's a lot of empathy for others in missionary children. But there's a challenge. Oh, by the way, that's my son and his, uh, his wife and their two daughters, two little girls, both born in Kenya 
And that picture is in front of their house in Cairo. Um, the challenges, though, that come with all this moving. First of all, there can be a sense of rootlessness or migratory instinct, a sense that I don't belong anywhere. I have no roots. I, I don't know how many missionary kids I know personally who have made the mistake of marrying somebody in order to get roots. And then they feel like their feet are nailed to the floor <laughs> because this person will never leave Berrien County or whatever. You know? and, and, and actually, there is a certain need to move, a certain sense that one should experience the world if you have done so as a child. And so uh, the problem becomes especially challenging if you get kind of a migratory instinct. I remember one young woman who suddenly realized she was teaching in international schools and she'd be there for one year and then the second year she'd begin looking for another school in another country to go to. And she, after the, this happened several times, she saw that it wasn't looking very good on her resume. <laughs> she hadn't been more than two years in any place for the last dozen years or so. And uh, she realized that the problem was that she, as a child, had moved every two years. And now it just felt right to move every couple years. But she didn't really need to. She was giving up good jobs, moving to maybe not so good jobs, just in order to move. Uh, and that, that, is, that is a problem. And so when she realized that, she was able to kind of squelch that feeling that one has to always be moving. Another challenge is this challenge that home is elsewhere. And I want to tell you parents and others in the mission community, sometimes we actually teach our children that. When we go on leave, what do we tell them we're doing? Going we're going home. And at the leave, what do we tell them that we're doing? Going home. Going home, home is always somewhere else, <laughs> right? That's a very unpleasant place to be, though, if you internalize that feeling that you're never at home. One must always feel at home. Uh, our, when we came uh, one year on a furlough with our son, no, it was, it was the year we actually moved back to the US. He was still studying in uh, Kenya. And um, he was with us. We were, we were in Washington, DC, and we went to the Air and Space Museum. Uh, which, of course, is a wonderful place for missionary kids, by the way, all those airplanes. But he, he wanted to get a little dog tag made. And he went to fill out the form, Richard Doss, and then there's a place to put your address. And he said, well, to me, where do I put, what address do I put? I said, well, you can put um, the address where we're leave, living now, but he never lived with us here in the States, so he didn't want to put that address. And, and I said, you can put, you know, Maxwell Academy, where he was going to school, but that really wasn't home either. So he thought for a minute, and then he turned around and wrote something, and later he came and handed me the dog tag, which I still have. And it says, Richard Doss, home is where I am. And that is what we want our children to have. So we need to be careful how we talk to them about home. Home is something I can make anywhere that I am. Another challenge can be too many relationships. <laughs> and missionary kids tend to fall on one end or the other of the spectrum. Either they're the kind of person that's trying to keep with, up with 500 emails a day or 500 Facebook posts, or they're the kind that don't write to anybody. 
You know, and I have to say that probably Facebook was invented for missionary kids because it has sure made life easier for me. I know because I can make one post and it goes to everybody. But um, it is sometimes the relationships just become too numerous and kids kind of shut down and cut them off just in order not to be overwhelmed by them. Difficulty in planning. If you've moved often, especially if you've moved unexpectedly, you can begin to feel like you can never plan anything about your life. And sometimes we as parents need to think carefully about that. When we accept a call to the mission field or we decide to return, is this something that we have talked over with our children, explained to them they're prepared for, or do we try to spring, do we spring it on them? Or do we take, like one family whose kid was, the kid had gone to the same high school academy all his years, and they were going to the mission field two months before his graduation date. This is unfair. And when, you, when we talked to the kid and said, how do you feel about that? He says, well, it's okay, you know, it's what God wants. We blame God. In reality, it's a choice we make. But he felt really badly about it. And after some discussion with the parents, discovered that, indeed, they could change and wait two months, since it really meant something to him to graduate from the kids he'd been in school with all those years. So we need to think carefully and not make it so that um, our kids feel like they can never plan their lives. There can be a delusion of choice, and this is kind of the similar sort of thing in which we often say to our children, would you like to go live in Bolivia? And they say, no. Mm. Oh, but you'll like it there. <laughs> I mean, were we really giving them a choice? No. No. Why did we ask them? <coughs> it's a delusion of choice. So we have to be careful not to to create a feeling that they never actually really have a choice about anything in their lives. And then the last one is there can be grief, and it's usually unresolved grief. The missionary kid grief has four characteristics that make it unique. First of all, it is multiple. They are losing everything in their lives, and they're losing it all at the same time. Not only are they losing their friends, and their home, and their pets, and their climbing tree, and their teacher, a Sabbath school teacher, and their pathfinder leader, and grandma and grandpa, they're losing them all at the same time. Multiple losses, simultaneously. And it makes it very intense, many times, because they feel like they're doing it all alone. You know, uh, very lonely. And as a result, it can often be unresolved. You know, children grieve differently than adults. Children don't usually, aren't usually able to really talk about it and process it verbally, at least until the teen years. And when children are grieving, they act it out physically. We often get kids coming to mission, families, kids come to Mission Institute, the, the, the three or four year old that's been potty trained for two years is now wetting the bed. That's a physical reaction to the transition they're going to. The kid who is well behaved is throwing tantrums. You know, again, a physical reaction to what they're going through. And this is very typical for children. Their grief, therefore, is unresolved. They're not processing and unable to process it verbally as adults can. And they only can process it physically. Uh, and so oftentimes, this grief becomes unrecognized, unacknowledged grief. 
So how do we help them through this process? By the way, the pictures I have for you here um, are of missionary kid events that we've held, either re-entry or training events. And that one, I think, I am so extremely proud of because I'm a terrible photographer, and I actually got all their feet off the ground at the same time. And it's just like, <laughs> Lord, thank you. Never happened before uh, from a re-entry group. OK, unresolved grief. It takes permission, people, and time. And this picture is of another ask, uh, one of our, this is our son, Gordon and me, in front of the house where we lived for 14 years. And Richard grew up in, when we went back to visit in that home, that home. And oftentimes, a visit of remembrance to the place where one grew up is very helpful to the young adult uh, missionary kid. Because then they can begin to process that, that experience as an adult instead of as a child. They, they can put it into words and can, and can process it much more effectively. Anyway, dealing with unresolved grief. Gives them identity with their own children, too, to be able to share with their children. That's true, or, or their spouses, as they marry somebody from another place. Um, permission. We need to tell children it is OK to miss things. It is OK to grieve. That it, 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 we actually have a little book in our children's program that's called Goodbye House. And it is for a, a pre-reading age group in which it, the, little, the little child is going, leaving, moving away from a home and they go through the house. Goodbye bedroom where I slept. Goodbye kitchen that cooked a lot of good food. Goodbye, you know, saying goodbye and, and, and bringing closure, allowing them to actually grieve the loss of their home. So it takes permission. It's OK to grieve. It takes people who understand that they are grieving, and this will take time. And just a, a quick story. Our son went to Maxwell Academy, and he had a, a nice little Filipino girlfriend. Just uh, in the months before graduation, as is very common, actually, in, among missionary kids, they decided that they would break up and they wouldn't continue the relationship. She was going to the Philippines. He was going to the US for college. And so um, they had made that decision on their own. When we were there for graduation, the time came when the whole Filipino bunch of kids were headed off to the airport together on the bus. And Richard rode along to say goodbye to her and the other friends. And I rode with him. On the way back from the airport, he laid his head down on my lap. And he's, he's big, by the way. He's 6'6", so he's tall, big old kid. Laid, down, laid on my lap and began to cry. Now, they'd made the decision to, to not to continue the relationship, but still, it's a loss. Pretty soon, you know, mamas, I began crying too. And he felt a tear fall on his face. And he looked up at me and said, mother, why are you crying? And I said to him, because I know this hurts. It's hard. It's hard enough to say goodbye at your high school graduation when you live in the same town. It's even harder to say goodbye to your friends when they're moving to another country and you don't think you'll ever see them again. It's a huge amount of loss. And so he was able to grieve. I was able to grieve with him. And I think that that makes it a much, a much healthier process when there are people 
who also understand the loss and of course give them the time they take. When you have a child, uh, uh, several children in the mission, missionary family, you usually, and you're moving to the mission field or back from the mission field, you usually have one that sails right through, doesn't have a bit of a problem, one that just hates it. <laughs> just does, you know, everything about it is one that maybe is kind of in between. It's like you never have them all the same for most families. And, and so kids, just like their parents, will go through these the, the grief process, the transition process in their own time and in their own way, and giving them the permission to do it that way. Okay, here's one tool that we use for helping families move to take some of the sting out, or at least openness for uh, bring closure to our one stage of life and openness to the new one and it's called building a raft and you will find this in the book on third culture kids first of all as we leave we need to reconcile our relationships and we need to help our children reconcile theirs that means to um, say I'm sorry if there's a broken relationship or we've hurt somebody, to try to bring as much healing as possible to, so that we leave our relationships as healthy and whole as possible. We need to ask our children, is there anybody you need to say sorry to? Anybody that you need to make up with before we leave? Because, as I said yesterday, we carry around an emotional backpack. Broken relationships or hurt feelings become stones that we place in our backpack that we carry with us, and this backpack can grow heavy unless we're willing to take those out and reconcile them, make, make things right. We, we need to affirm relationship and give words of affirmation. We need to say, I'll miss you, I love you, I'm, I, 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 you've been a friend to me, thank you. Maybe give little gifts, whatever it is. At Mission Institute, when we do this training with our children, two days before we leave, they've been there three weeks, they make little gifts to give to people. So this last time it was interesting to me, there was a, a man who had been the driver in the van that had taken them on their field trips. His name was Joseph. And when I was over there in their room, the kids were all making little gifts to give to Joseph and, and signing a card to say, thank you, Joseph, for having taken such good care and been such a good driver for us here in Nairobi during the time we've been here. You know bring closure to the relationships, leave them as healthy and whole as possible. Then we need to say farewells, and I'm sorry the color didn't show up well there, did it? Farewells, farewells. We need to say goodbye. Now, I don't know how many of you hate farewell parties, but a lot of us don't like them very much. However, it's very important that we verbally express our goodbyes and help our children to do this. We need to ask them, who do they need to say goodbye to? Because it might be people we're unaware of. Maybe there was the old lady at church who always slipped the mint, you know, between Sabbath school and church. And, and she became an important person to the little child's life. They need to say goodbye to her. We need to say goodbye to people, places. How many of you get attached to places? I do. I, I, I'm very attached to places. When we <coughs> left Malawi the last time, I took a picture of every empty, ugly room of our old house, which was a crumbling mud brick house built in the 1950s. Out of what? I'm not sure. But anyway, it was a mess. But I took a picture, and we'd lived there a long time, 14 years. I took a picture of every empty room. I took a picture of the jacaranda tree in the front of the walk, the path to the school, of the pastor's house and the church and the dispensary. As I left, I said, goodbye house, goodbye tree, goodbye church. And when I got back to the U.S., and I was so homesick, 
I took out the pictures. I'd have my little cry. I put them away, and I could move on till the next time, right? Because <laughs> it's always a process. But saying goodbye to places can be very important. And for many children, they may have a favorite bush that they, that they played house under or a tree that they like to climb or some place that has been important to them. Pets. We need to be careful to make sure that they have brought closure to the relationship with pets. Um, I think it's a really a sad commentary on missions if we just go off and abandon our pets. I hope I never hear of that for an Adventist missionary. We have a responsibility before God and his creation to, to leave our pets in good hands. But we need to let the children say goodbye as well. So fabulous story from one family, Australian family, whose daughter's cat died. They were a pastoral family in Australia. Her cat died just before they were moving to a new district, a couple months. So when it came time to move to the new district, the daughter wanted to take the cat that was buried in the backyard. So the parents dug the cat up, the box, and took it to the new district and, planted, and buried it under a rose bush. Three years later, they were called to the mission field, and the daughter wanted to take the cat with them. <laughs> now, this obviously is not going to work very well, right? But I think the parents came up with a very creative solution. They took a cutting from the rose bush over the grave of the cat and planted it in their new home. Isn't that wonderfully sensitive? to the need of the child for continuity in her life. If we can have that kind of sensitivity, farewells become manageable. And then finally, possessions. We need to say goodbye to possessions. My mother is 92 years old. A few years ago, she was telling me this story about the fact that back in 1967, it's a very long time ago, 1967, when she went to the mission field, she sold some wool blankets of her mother's for 50 cents each and how she wished she should have kept them. She thought she should have kept them. You know, I'm thinking to myself, you know, that's what? Pretty close to 50 years ago, why don't we just give them away? You know, get rid of them, say goodbye. Let them go. If we have to leave possessions, let them go. Help our children say goodbye. However, we should be sure that they take with them possessions that are useful and meaningful to them. Even if it's a hideously ugly, old, comfy blanket, let them take it. You know, it'll probably go through. If it sets off the alarms and security, it's a problem. But otherwise, let them have it. You know, uh, let them choose a few things that they can take that are meaningful to them. Uh, but say goodbye to the rest. And then finally, think realistically about our destination. Too often, we actually give unrealistic expectations to our children. There was one missionary family that were moving from Argentina to Uruguay quite a number of years ago. Um, and in Argentina, they ate lots of apples, and the kids loved apples, and they knew there wouldn't be very many apples in Uruguay at the time. And so the, uh, the mother said to her children, don't worry, when we get there, we'll eat bananas. Well, guess what? When they got there, there were no bananas. The banana boats had not made it that month. And they, she even you know, sent her husband off to the capital city to go find the bananas because the kids were saying, where's our bananas? She said, I set my children up for unrealistic expectations. Unrealistic. You, you'll make new friends. What if they don't? They might not, at least not very quickly. 
So we need to be careful what we say to them uh, and make sure that what we say to them about the new place is realistic. And of course, our own expectations are realistic. Interestingly enough, I just read a research topic on the area of expectations, uh, a research article that had been done. They were looking at, is it more difficult for missionaries to move to cultures that are very different from your home culture or cultures that are very similar to your home culture? Yeah, they found out that people have just as many adjustment problems moving to cultures that are very similar to their home culture as those that are very different. Why? Expectations. You, if you're an American and you move to England, you think, well, they speak the same language. You know, it won't be that hard. It will be. Your expectations are faulty because it'll be difficult. Uh, same through between a Spanish, several Spanish-speaking countries in Latin America. It can still be very difficult. So having realistic expectations becomes very important. All right, I see I have five minutes left, so I'm going to go very, very quickly here. Worldview, global cultural collection. That is stuff from all over the world that they've incorporated, internalized into their lives. A three-dimensional worldview, the world is a real place. Security, the world can be survived. Interestingly enough, high motivation. Missionary kids tend to, tend to be successful people as adults. They not, may not be what, you know, I mean, sometimes they choose not to be Adventists or Christians, but they usually are very successful people. The challenges, this is my daughter and her family, by the way, and Zachary, who's lived in five countries, his sister in four. Um, challenges. You can be off balance in your own culture. There are many unknowns. Wonderful story was told some years ago. Uh, this is for the older ones that will know this. Uh, there was a nursing student at Loma Linda who was approached one day on the floor by a man who asked the directions to a certain play, a part of the hospital. And it's uh, quite a complex thing. So she said, I will, I will take you there. So she took the man to, the, to this place, walking the halls, and she noticed as they walked that people were smiling at her and at them and, you know, kind of looking at them. And she didn't think much about it, so she left him there, where, where he was, and he thanked her, and she walked back to her unit, and the nurses all clustered around her and said, did you get his autograph? And she said, no. And he said, do you know who he was? And she said, no. And they said, that was John Wayne. And she said, who's John Wayne? <laughs> okay, so many unknowns, and, and, and this is just inevitable. And uncertain values, confused loyalty, do you cheer for the Americans in the Olympics or do you cheer for, you know, Zambia or wherever? Yeah, pain of reality. You know that three-dimensional worldview? The world is a real place? Can become a painful thing. When we, we were in Thailand doing a mission institute when the bombing of Baghdad began at the invasion of, of Iraq, Iraq. And a little girl, 12 years old, who had never lived in the Middle East, who was actually from South Africa, had been raised in Asia all her life, came into the classroom with tears in her eyes and said to me, they're bombing Baghdad. Now, why would she be crying over Baghdad? She knew they were real people under those bombs. The world is a real place. And that can be the pain of reality. 
there can be a real or perceived arrogance. I mean, there are some missionary kids that say, what, you've never been around the world? You know? But there's often a perceived arrogance. One, one missionary child came back to the US uh, in the eighth grade. And the first day of school, the teacher asked them to tell what they had done that, that summer. And the kids, some had gone to grandma, some had gone to the game, uh, to the national park, some had, you know, had gone to the beach, whatever. And when it came, they came to her, she said, well, we, um, we packed up in Malawi and sent our stuff off. And then we went to India and spent a couple weeks. And then we went to um, Hong Kong, where I was born, and spent a few days. And then we went to Japan and only spent uh, you know, less than a week, because it's real expensive in Japan. And then we stopped in Guam, which is where my brother was born. And then we came here. <laughs> she said, I had no friends that whole school year. They thought I was arrogant. So there is often a perceived arrogance. She wasn't being arrogant. She was just telling what happened. And so we, we often have to coach our children on you know, how do you answer questions like that? <laughs> how do you help people not think that you are an arrogant person? And finally, it can be a hidden immigrant. A hidden immigrant is if you look like a culture and think like the culture, you are a mirror of that culture. Those of us who are monocultural tend fit in that category. If you look different from the culture, but you think like the culture, you're adopted. We, uh, we went to hire a new secretary at, at Andrews one time, and this woman came in, obviously Korean. But her accent was totally American. So we said to her, oh, so um, where did you grow up? Oh, here in Berrien Springs. Hmm. Um, where's your family from? Oh, they're, they're here from here in Berrien Springs. <laughs> We began, you know, finally we found out she was an adopted Korean child, <laughs> adopted at six months of age. She was more American than lots of Americans, okay? She, even though she looked fully Korean. So thinks, looks different, but thinks like the culture. Looks different from the cult, uh, culture and thinks different from the culture. That's a foreigner. That's what we are when we as adults go as missionaries. We're foreigners. We don't think like this culture. We don't look like them. However, if you look like the culture, but you think differently from the culture, you are a hidden immigrant. Our daughter came, went back to Andrews, um, and we were leaving her. We were on a furlough, and we left her there, making sure that she was in the dormitory, had a roommate assigned. Uh, she'd made a friend. She had a job, you know, and so on, settled for school. She was with her new friend. This new friend that she'd made was from Australia. Her family had just moved to Andrews uh, as a family. And so the father told me this story later. He said one day he was um, listening, overhearing the girls in the living room, Christy and his daughter. And uh, Christy, this American kid with American accent, American passport, American parents, is talking with his daughter. And they're saying, where in this place can you get some Marmite? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, I, I just haven't had any Milo for quite a while. <laughs> Don't they serve it around here? I mean, and, and he realized that. Uh, this American child was just as much a foreigner as his daughter from Australia. OK, relationships. Hmm. Shall we just scoot through this quickly? <laughs> Read the book. OK. Greenness. We have the children take Play-Doh, yellow and blue Play-Doh, and mix it together. Two cultures. There's a wonderful poem. I have a yellow culture. Sun and dust and 
music and dancing, and I have a, a, a blue culture, snow and Christmas and grandma, but where can I be green? Because when you mix blue and yellow Play-Doh together, you become green. And then we always ask the children after they've mixed it, take out the yellow and take out the blue. You can't. They are green. They are different. And will always be green, always be different. Something to celebrate, I think, because I always ask them, is green a good color? Yes. yes. The best, apparently, according to the creator. So there are many green people in the world. Maybe you know this green one. 14 years born and raised in Japan. Some of you from Latin America know this person, Nancy V. Meister and her whole family, very green. And of course, the greenest of all here, <laughs> President Obama and many others. In fact, somebody did research once on the who, from who's, who's, who's Who in America looking at what the fathers did of the people who made it in Who's Who in America. And they found that a very much higher percentage of missionary kids made it into Who's Who in, in America than children from any other profession. Okay, I won't show you the video. No? So let me leave, leave you with a task that I'd like to ask you to do. Not now, time to move on. But what concrete things can parents and missionary friends do to help MKs cope with the challenges and benefit from the positives of MK life? To be realistic about the fact that there are both positives and challenges. And what do we do both as parents and as a mission community to support our children in ways that will help them to grow into the kind of people God wants them to be? that can be the next generation of missionaries until Jesus comes. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.